This is VOCM News Talk. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. Here's VOCM News Talk host Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. I uh, trust you had a good weekend, but um, this week is starting off on a very sad note. I must say, very sad news today. One of the province's best-known and respected ministers has passed away. Premier Andrew Fury today confirmed Derek Bragg's passing. He was just 59 years old. Derek Bragg first elected to the House of Assembly in 2015 in the district of Fogo Island, Cape Friels, and held the municipal affairs and the fisheries forestry and agriculture portfolios during his time in office. Well, VOCM's Richard Duggan is uh, our legislative reporter, and he joins me now. Hello, Richard. Hello, Linda. Really sad news, I have to say. Absolutely heartbreaking news today, that uh, news of Derek Bragg's passing. I mean, there are things that, you know, when, when you're watching or listening to the news that you don't get to see, and it's sort of the interactions that we had with Derek Bragg when the microphones weren't going, and he was just someone who was so full of life, and I think when you hear the tributes coming in from everybody, I think everybody will talk about his sense of humor, and just genuinely one of the funniest people that you could want to talk to. With those turns of phrase that have become yeah. famous now, and uh, and you said genuinely uh, humorous, but he was genuine. He came across as genuine. It didn't feel mm-hmm. like there was any back doors with him. No, absolutely not. And that came through, you know, any times that we had to scrum him, even, you know, with some of the really serious things that uh, he was taking care of in his portfolio, and we'll get into some of that. Everything, you know, when when you got a response from him, you knew that it was genuine and you knew that he, you know, he wasn't trying to, you know, he he wasn't trying to um, lead you in in any sort of a a different direction other than what he was trying to say. And you, you got that sense from him that, you know, there... Like you said, there were no back doors and that he was, uh, you know, what you saw and what you heard was what you got. Right. And I think that's that's the best way to sum him up. And, you know, we we often think about, uh, you know, his, the way he navigated the um, fisheries disputes, not just mm-hmm. one, but a couple of them, yeah. uh, very big ones. I mean, the, the crab fishery, the snow crab fishery, as we all know, is one of the the most lucrative industries in Newfoundland and Labrador today. And uh, he navigated some very difficult uh, circumstances in 2020 and again in 2023 and still came out Mm -hmm. respected and um you know i i never heard a bad word about him yeah let's put it that way and and that's something that you know if you talk to anyone who's anyone else who's been fisheries minister they'll tell you that that is not an easy feat to do especially when you think about what happened last year in the very lengthy and drawn out uh, dispute in the snow crab industry to have a minister uh, come out on the other side of that with respect and uh, people throwing praise his way I mean that's I think that speaks volumes to the way the type of person he was and how he handled his business in in uh, the House of Assembly and not only that but knowing what we know now 
about what he was dealing with personally on yes. a personal level during so, that period. Yeah, so um, you know, it, it became public knowledge in June that uh, he had been diagnosed with tongue cancer. But uh, us reporters in that in uh, the House of Assembly, we knew for a few weeks prior to that. Uh, they sort of gave us the heads up because, uh, like, if he had to come out for an interview or anything like that, he had to have a bottle of water with him um, because his mouth was dry and that sort of thing. So they sort of, they gave us a heads up that he was dealing with some health issues, but to just imagine the the amount of stress that would come with dealing with that situation the livelihoods of thousands and thousands of of workers uh with that crab dispute and to not only be dealing with that and be uh at the forefront of it as fisheries minister but to also then find out that you're battling an unbelievable disease like cancer i mean you you can't imagine what he must have been going through during that time to try to juggle that and in many ways to successfully uh deal with with those disputes and and everything that was going on and we forget too that uh, he also was uh, front and center um, during the fires in central Newfoundland. He was up in those helicopters looking down. Yes, he was. Um, I spoke to him after um, you know once the or, well during that whole process because it was it was touch and go if you recall for quite some mm-hmm. time and people in Grand Falls Windsor growing increasingly concerned and some people actually evacuating because of the smoke that was coming that way thankfully the fire got stopped mm-hmm. uh, long before it reached Bishops or, or Grand Falls Windsor but um, I, I spoke to Derek Bragg numerous times over the course of that uh, that period he was on top of that particular issue he was up in the helicopters wanted to have a look himself from you know mm-hmm. that bird's eye view and said, told us on VOCM, he said, you know, I never, he said, pictures just don't do it justice. He said, I never had a real appreciation of the scope of this disaster until I got that bird's eye view looking down and seeing the flame and seeing the smoke and seeing how far this thing had progressed from one day to another. Absolutely, yeah. And I I think that goes to show too, Linda, just about um, one of the things that we will appreciate in what we do is accessibility. And Derek Bragg was always willing uh, to, you know, to take a phone call or to meet up with someone for an interview and if you had any questions it it was uh you know he he was willing to take them on and i think that's something that i i think people will see uh you know if you look back at some of the interviews that he did over the years and and whatnot but uh you know really when when you look at um like you said how busy he was with with some very uh significant and and troubled portfolios during his time um to to be able to to also take that time and be willing to sit down with you whenever it was and to give as honest of of an answer as i think that he could have given it's it's he he gained a lot of respect i think from from a lot of people uh during his especially those last couple of years uh, like you said with the fisheries disputes the fires um I think that he really gained a lot of respect from from uh, those in the media and also from colleagues in the House of Assembly as well, as you would see uh, from some of the tributes that are coming out today as well. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, exuded that warmness and you had that sense that his 
his staff was on board, if you know what mm -hmm. I'm saying. Sometimes you don't always get those vibes as yeah. the people in this business. We don't always mm -hmm. get those vibes from the people that work closest with uh, with the elected members. You know, I'm, I've been at this for a very long time, and there's been occasions when I have picked up some pretty negative vibes <laughs> yes. from some people. Uh, but uh, you didn't get that. No, not at all. And uh, funny story, I, I was thinking about it throughout the afternoon. I remember one time I, um, I requested an interview with, with Mr. Bragg, and I can't even remember what it was about now. Um, but uh, his his uh, the people in his office said, yeah, no problem. He's going to give you a call. And sure enough, he did. And he I, I can't remember <laughs> exactly what he was joking about, but he made some kind he was out visiting family. And he said, well, Richard, bye. I'm out on the West Coast, best coast right now. And for about the three or four minutes before we began the formal interview, I mean, he had me in knots with just some of the, the jokes that he was saying and the way that he was getting on. And you could tell that wasn't that wasn't an act. That wasn't some sort of a performance that he was putting on. That was just who he was. And I'll never forget being uh, in our recording booth here at VOCM and just like the, you know, that, that almost pain that you get in your stomach when you've been laughing for so hard for so long. That's, that's what I remember from that interaction. And there are so many stories like that, even right up towards the end, you know, when, when we knew that he was sick, he was still making those little quips before, before we do a scrum about something or just before an interview or just after an interview, uh, he would still make those little comments. And that was just his personality right up to the end. Yeah, and you, you mentioned that to us. Uh, you know, I don't know how much you want to divulge on the air, but you mentioned that to us that, you know, he, here he was facing something very, very serious, and he was still able to say, well, bye. You know. Yeah. <laughs> he was, so uh, the story behind that is... Um, uh, if you'll recall last June, there was a cabinet shuffle. And the reason for the cabinet shuffle was that uh, Minister Bragg was going through his his illness. And uh, so he needed to be shuffled out of, it, out of the fisheries portfolio. And they had the cabinet shuffle, which was, um, I think most people hear the word cabinet shuffle. They don't think of an emotional ceremony. But because of the reason that precipitated the ceremony, it, it was emotional. And, and there were people that, that were had tears in their eyes uh, at that event. And afterwards, so we, we did our interview with uh, the premier and everybody else that was there. And afterwards, uh, Derek came up to us and was just talking about, uh, you know, his, his condition. And he had just had his surgery. And for those who don't know, if you have tongue cancer, the way that they treat it is that they cut off the, the piece of the tongue that, that has the issue. And they take... Um, um, some skin, I believe, from your forearm to help rebuild the tongue. And then they use some uh, more skin and whatnot from, I think, your thigh or like somewhere on your leg to rebuild the forearm. And, and so anyway, he, he was talking to us and he was giving us a little update on his health. And he goes, you know, boy, I said, I, I, I feel like a hook rug. <laughs> Oh my! <laughs> and the whole room just went up with laughter at that comment. And and like you said, just like right up to the end, even going through a really difficult time right then and going through his treatment, still making everybody else around him laugh and lifting up everybody else's spirits when he was the one who, who was going through something so trying. Yeah, because there was a lot of weight around those kinds of things. And you're always uncomfortable when somebody's going through something very serious like that and not know what to say. And he put everyone at ease. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, uh, you know, that 
off-the-cuff genuineness came across best in this comment mm-hmm. for which he has become famous. And you were there, and you're going to tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. this in, the, in a minute. But uh, just to set the scene, this is on the steps of Confederation Building, uh, confronting or being confronted by a large number of very frustrated fish harvesters. Let's be fair. Whoever is fisher minister is going to take this ridicule from this crowd today. So I had the guts, probably more guts than brains, to stand in front of you guys and getting this mic. So uh, that spoke a lot. And I think at that moment, uh, anyone who didn't know Derek Bragg started to appreciate the kind of person that he was at mm-hmm. that moment. And ab- absolutely, and uh, going back to that, I hadn't had very many, I don't think, if any, interactions with Derek Bragg before that moment. So uh, just to back up, that was a, a protest with FFAW members on the steps of Confederation Building. And uh, yeah, like I I hadn't, I don't think, had any interactions with him up to that point. And I remember hearing that comment and going, okay, <laughs> I, I, I can kind of see what this guy's all about now. And that whole... Um, uh, protest that day was I think really gave a great idea of of the character of Derek Bragg because it was a hostile crowd right like they they were frustrated um, with, with the situation going on in the fishery at the time and when he came up to the microphone you know there were people shouting things and and heckling him from the crowd and I've been at protests before where similar things have happened and the politician that's up at the microphone will power through their speech maybe they might have an interaction with one or two people in the crowd and then they shuffle off they go back inside but not on this day if they come out at all yes that's right and not only did he stay up at the microphone but i remember there was one man he was heckling him from in the crowd and he said well if you got something to say to me come up to the microphone and say it and that guy got up he walked up the steps and Derek Bragg sort of moved off to the side and crossed his arms and let this guy say his piece into the microphone and even afterwards after all that uh he went down into the crowd and was talking with these fish harvesters in the like and they were surrounding him and you know and he he was having that conversation and I think that was a great indication there of not just the type of person he is, but how he was going to handle situations um, that came up in the fisheries portfolio. Another great example of that uh, was just last, sorry, uh, just last spring um, when uh, the the price dispute was going on. And there was one day where all these fish harvesters went into the public gallery of the House of Assembly. And when they started talking about the fishery, they put the place up, and they started yelling, and the, the speaker had to shut everything down. I remember ki- that. Yeah, it was the, a very intense moment. Oh, it was. Yeah, and the, um, you know, they kicked all the harvesters out. And I remember uh, I was up in the gallery myself uh, in the reporter section, and I remember I saw Derek Bragg get out of his chair, and he motioned to the labor minister, Bernard Davis, and he said, all right, come on, let's go and figure this out. And he walked straight out uh, from the floor of the House of Assembly, straight out to the lobby, and we all rushed down there then, and uh, he went out, and he met the, the, the angry harvesters again, and he was like, all right, boys, let, let's try to figure this out, and he grabbed uh, a couple of like the, the union representatives and, and people uh, representatives that were there, and he said, all right, let's go, and they went over into the elevator straight up to his office to try to hash things out and that was i remember that and just like the way that he was like all right you know what we're gonna figure this out let's go 
Yeah, a special a special man, and I have to be mm-hmm. honest, uh, we were fearful that uh, bad news was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I had spoken about it many times in the newsroom, uh, really quite concerned, not sure who to ask or where to go with it, but um, we were sensing that something was not right and um and then we got this terrible news today and uh i personally am very sad about it uh, mm-hmm. i know you are as well because you really uh respected him you know with the work that you've done so um mm-hmm. richard and, I, and I again it's this. the it goes back to you know as i was as i was saying earlier you know those just those little interactions uh leading up to scrums or just before interviews you know you even though they're sometimes very much uh um uh, small talk in many ways you're still building relationships with the people that you're interviewing and and when you look at it uh, as I am today you know you realize you know you, you got to know these people pretty well even if it is just a comment here or you know a, a conversation about the weather there and over time these relationships build up but uh, yeah no very sad today to hear the passing of Derek Bragg he was uh, I, I think you had said on Twitter one of the good ones and I think that's a great way to sum him up our deepest, deepest condolences to his family, um, little grandson, mm-hmm. and he was so proud and so happy. Oh, yeah. Uh, that really, you could see his eyes light up every time uh, uh, he thought or was talking about his grandson. So, yeah, mm-hmm. very sad. Uh, our deepest condolences to not only his family, but his, his family in the House of Assembly as well, on all sides of the House. Absolutely. Everybody who knew him, I think, is hurting a little bit today, but, uh, I, I, you know, I think hurting, but a sense of relief in knowing that his battle is over and that whatever pain he was dealing with is is gone now. Richard Duggan, thank you. Thank you, Linda. Um, yeah, very sad indeed. Uh, when we come back, um, uh, first major announcement out of the three-day federal cabinet retreat in Montreal is a two-year cap on international student visas. Uh, we'll tell you more about that when we come back right after this. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. And we are back. Well, the federal government has announced a two-year cap on international student visas. Immigration Minister Mark Miller anticipates the 35% cut in new study visas this year will give the federal and provincial governments time to tackle problems in the system. We'll Here's some of what Mark Miller said this morning. International students are a valuable asset uh, to this country. Uh, They are bright, young individuals that enrich our communities and bring significant social, cultural, and economic benefits. They deserve the best. They deserve world-class academic experiences that they sought out and hoped for. And Canada is renowned for that. Sadly, this has not always been the case. Pour que ces avantages perdurent et que le Canada conserve sa réputation mondiale, nous devons nous attaquer aux problèmes récents qui ont rendu certains étudiants vulnérables et ont porté atteinte à l'intégrité de notre programme pour les étudiants internationaux. It's unacceptable that some private institutions have taken advantage of international students by operating under resourced campuses, lacking supports for students, and charging high tuition fees, all the while significantly increasing their intake of international students. Today, I am announcing three principal measures. One, a temporary two-year cap on new international student permits. 
It is the latest in a series of measures to improve program integrity and set international students up for the success in order to maintain uh, a sustainable level of temporary residence in Canada as well. To ensure that there is no further growth in the number of international students in Canada for 2024, we are setting a national application intake cap for a period of two years. For 2024, the cap is expected to result in approximately 364,000 approved study permits, a decrease of 35% from 2023. In the spirit of fairness, we are also allocating the cap space by province based on population, such as that some provinces will see much more significant reductions. We'll continue to work closely with those provinces and territories to put these measures into place as they will be responsible for determining how the cap is distributed between its designated learning institutions that they have jurisdiction over. I've had productive conversations in particular with British Columbia and Ontario already and we all recognize that more needs to be done to protect the integrity of our system while supporting international students. In addition, effective immediately, applicants must provide a provincial attestation with their study permit application. At the same time, the cap will not apply to students in graduate levels of studies, including masters and doctoral students. Those are the people we're looking for. Study permit applications at the elementary and secondary school levels will also be exempt. To repeat, as of September 1st of this year, postgraduate work permits will no longer be available to public-private institution models. So that's some of what uh, Federal Immigration Minister Mark Miller had to say uh, um, um, from a three-day cabinet retreat uh, currently taking place in uh, Montreal. Um, if you have any thoughts on that, you're welcome to give us a call. Well, when we come back, this is Data Privacy Week. We'll have a conversation with uh, Privacy Commissioner Michael Harvey when we come back right after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoon from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we are back on VOCM, uh, uh, I was going to say open line, but it is actually uh, News Talk. And joining us now is the president of the FFAW, Greg Pretty. Hello. Hi, Linda. How are you? Well, I'm all right, uh, but very sad news today. Yeah, very sad news. Uh, you know, I never anticipated uh, we'd hear that uh, he was such. Uh, Derek was a, a fighter. Um, it was just—it's just absolutely terrible. Our condolences go out to the family, his wife and uh, and kids and grandchild, and uh, and it's uh, it's just really stunning news. It really is. And uh, as we've been saying over the last half hour or so, uh, uh, he was a, a minister who came across as absolutely genuine. You knew he was hardworking just by his actions and his deeds. And uh, he played a pivotal role in navigating some very difficult times in the provincial fishery. No, no question. You know, he's uh, he's had very good roots. The first time I met him, he was working at the plant in Greenspond. The biotic plant in Green's Pond, and uh, just like he he was, he was uh, very uh, articulate. He was fun to be around. He was uh, he had a great sense of community. I used to kid him that Walter Carter also came from Green's Pond, and he should aspire to do the same. And eventually, he found his way to provincial politics. 
And, uh, you know, uh, he had a, a great heart uh, for that. And, uh, you know, uh, he's going to be missed. He was a he's an incredibly funny guy. I think he could have had a, a, a career as a stand-up. He, he never met a microphone he didn't like. And he was just a hoot to be around. I played golf with him once. And I I, um, I I fell out of the car laughing. He was a, he was just a good guy to be around, but he took his job very seriously. And you're quite right. To, he handled. He was involved with with the the biggest uh, tie up uh, of the crab uh, fleet in our history. And he was, and I know he uh, he wore his heart on his sleeve. He needed he and he wanted that. Uh, that uh, thing fixed uh, for 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 the province, for his members, for his constituents, but most importantly for his fellow plant workers he worked with, and uh, again uh, all the harvesters. So it, it's 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 quite a loss to the province. The fishery didn't just mean something to him; it was in his blood. He he and I spoke um, several times about his deep connection to the fishery and and to the people in the fishery. No question. He he came out of it. He understood it. It was his life, and uh, he uh, he put a lot of time in the public service, which only honed his uh, the skills he'd later use at in the, in the House of Assembly. It, it's a great loss. It's, it's a tragic loss. Uh, such a young man at fifty nine, uh, he'll be missed. There's no question about that. The province will miss him. And in retrospect now, thinking uh, back on the tie-up and, and, um, you know, the the difficulties that all of that presented from every side, and he so determined to bring everyone together to try and hash it out, knowing now what he must have been going through on a personal level. That is correct. I I knew it at the time, and uh, and I also know that he uh, fought very hard to... uh, to bring this to a successful conclusion. And um, he worked behind the scenes, he worked tirelessly. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, just, uh, it's just tragic that, uh, that he didn't, uh, that, that he's not gonna see um, the fishery of the future. And, um, but it's quite a loss, as I said. How do you think he will best be remembered, both by yourself and, and, and the public at large? Oh, a hard worker, uh, uh, wanted so much success for this province, had a vision for the province, things could be better, work towards that. Um, I always kidded him when he was a minister of, I think it was Minister of Highways, I used to kid him, I'd see him around town, because I've known him a long time, I'd say, buddy, I said, you're the prime, you're the prime candidate for a fisheries minister. And we'd always have a great, uh, great laugh at that, and he had some plans, and uh, so it's uh, it's extremely sad uh, outcome here, and again, our condolences uh, to the family. And uh, it's uh, it's just it's just a, t- a really tough day for the province. Greg Pretty, I do appreciate your call uh, and joining us and sharing your thoughts with us at this very very sad time. Uh, thank you very much, and and condolences to all your members because I know they had a connection. They certainly did. Thank you, Linda. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you.
Bye bye. Uh, that's the uh, president of the FFAW, Greg Pretty, remembering uh, Derek Bragg. And just to share with you a little bit of the character of Derek Bragg, I suppose, is uh, back on April the 1st of 2022, he joined me on our On Target. And um, if you recall the On Target show, an hour long show, but it was primarily one guest, and you talk for a full hour. And uh, when I put the request into his office, uh, he admitted to me, you know, I, I, I don't know about doing a full hour, <laughs> uh, go easy on me type of thing. And uh, I said, nah, it's just conversational. Don't you worry about that. Well, uh, it was April the 1st of 2022 when he joined me on Arm Target. Here's some of that conversation. But uh, spring is in the air, and it's a time when things really start to ramp up here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, the fishery is preparing to get underway. Farmers are getting ready for the growing season. Polar bears are starting to drift down from up north. Uh, forest access roads are closed during the spring runoff, and officials are getting ready for the fire season. Would you believe all of that falls under one single portfolio? <laughs> well, my guest today is the minister responsible for the Department of Fisheries, Forestry, and Agriculture, Derek Bragg. Hello. Hi, how you doing? Thanks for having me on this afternoon. And this is your your and my first time chatting. Hello. Absolutely my first time, and we couldn't pick a better day to do it the first day of April. There you go. <laughs> I don't know what that means exactly, what you're trying to suggest. Uh, normally April Fool, people on April Fool but, uh, and in the morning, but I tell you, this is my first time being on, and I know we're looking forward to the next hour, so I'm like, okay, what have I, I signed myself up for today? So I'm ready for it, though. More, more, more guts than brains, to borrow a phrase. Yeah, well, you know what? I actually thought I said that under my breath. <laughs> there. Between two and three hundred people, I'm like, no good can come from this. So that's what came out of me, and I, and I guess that's what the, everybody, the cameras were there, so they caught the phrase. <laughs> so you must have been cringing a bit then to hear our news that day, <laughs> repeating that over and over and over again. Um, <laughs> but you've got a pretty big portfolio, and I just, you know, outlined some of the things that you're responsible for. How do you familiarize yourself with all of that? It, I gotta be honest with you. My wife asked me the same question. She said, "Derek, how do you turn it on and off so fast?" It's, it's, I can tell you, we got a great team. I mean, uh, I have, I think it's four ADMs and the DM, and and staff besides that. And you couldn't ask for better people to keep you informed. And and uh, so I'm I'm very thankful for that. And I'm and I guess I'm a visual learner. So for the last 12 months for this department, I think I took part in every aspect of it. Like um, right now, moose like you've forgotten the moose licenses. You know, that's how it's the number one thing right now, getting that filled out. So uh, so I take part in everything. So I've spent a full, almost a year to the day since I've been sworn in. I've been in fish plants. I mean, I've been in farmer's fields. I, I planted crops. I've been out for a jig. I've done all the things that's, that's related to this department. But it's an exciting department. And I like to say it's a department, probably the one of the better departments because everything that we do we grow it uh you know we grow it and then we harvest it and we feed people so like you couldn't ask for a better department to be honest 
So that's a little sum of uh, the conversation I had with uh, the late Derek Bragg on April the 1st, April Fool's Day on, uh, of 2022. And we'll be uh, hearing a lot more of people's thoughts on um, yeah, Derek Bragg and his untimely passing at the very young age of 59. Very sad indeed. Our deepest condolences to all uh, who knew him and uh, were proud to say he was part of their lives. Well, when we come back, this is Data Privacy Week, uh, and we'll speak with Privacy Commissioner Michael Harvey. This is News Talk on VOCM. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. And we're back on VOCM News Talk. This is uh, Data Privacy Week. Privacy Commissioner Michael Harvey joins me now. Well, hello, Michael. Hi, Linda. How are you this morning? Good, good. So uh, January 28th is Data Privacy Day, and this is Data Privacy Week. Um, Why is it so important to keep these kinds of things, uh, the privacy of our data, front of mind? Right. So first of all, I want to thank you for having me on to talk about this this topic. I think uh, we probably talked on data privacy days or weeks in, in years past, but uh, like you say, it's important to talk about this uh, every year uh, just uh, to get a few uh, points back in the front of people's minds. Uh, you know, and I think I've, as I've talked to you about this before here, you know, we are now in the midst of the information revolution, which is, you know, the third major economic revolution of, of human history after the uh, the Industrial Revolution. Uh, in the Industrial Revolution, you know, the major challenge that arose from that was probably the environment. And, uh, you know, we... Um, you know, in, in many respects, we we have uh, grappled with the some of the byproducts of the the environment, but in other respects, we've we've really uh, uh, failed to grapple with many of of the negative effects uh, of the industrial revolution. So we need privacy is the equivalent of the environment for the information revolution. And we need to make sure that this time around, uh, we learn from the successes of, of the past uh, and uh, and we don't repeat the failures of, of the past. Uh, a lot of people will say, you know, oh, privacy is dead, all of my information is, is online. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's no privacy anyway, to, um, to which I would respond, you know, what if we'd said the same thing about air quality uh, back in, uh, in 19th century uh, when uh, smog was choking our cities? You know, we wouldn't be able to breathe today, but we have made progress. We can make progress now. I, I have argued that privacy is just now alive. We're just now starting to have the real conversations uh, about privacy, and people are concerned about their privacy. So uh, Data Privacy Day, Data Privacy Week is an opportunity for us to really uh, focus on some of those questions and, um, uh, and deal with the privacy issues that are facing us every day. 
But is the horse out of the barn on this one? Because uh, technology is is uh, progressing so much faster, of course, than the legislative uh, side of things and and the um, the policies that are put in place to protect us. And it's all being accelerated at an even faster pace by AI, for instance, which over which I don't know about you, but a lot of people feel completely out of control. Um, so, you know, what can we do at this stage to ensure that our privacy is protected? Yeah. So AI is, a, is an excellent example. Uh, you know, there's a, AI, uh, artificial intelligence, which, you know, we can define in general as when the a computer program uh, that a human writes, uh, they write it in such a way that it, it learns as it goes. And, and so decisions that it makes uh, at some time point after it's created are not the decisions that were made by the human, but are made by the computer itself. And uh, so these kind of programs have really been uh, rolled out in really about 10 years now since they've been spreading out. And, and I think you're right there. They're creeping into everything. A lot of people think, you know, big AI systems, but you have little bits of, uh, of AI in lots of different types of programming to the point where I think that in a, in a few years, we won't be talking about AI as if it's some different type of computer programming. AI will be and of how computers are programmed, and we'll just talk about computer programming. But that said, the horse is not out of the barn, and countries around the world are starting to realize that they need to regulate uh, AI. Uh, the EU has uh, developed an, uh, an AI Act. Um, there's Canada, uh, at the federal level, there is currently AI legislation before Parliament. Uh, in the United States, uh, President Biden has introduced an executive order that will uh, – it, it's not legislation, but it, it will govern how the United States federal government uh, uses AI. So there's a lot of work being done. Uh, I was very gratified to read on, uh, on your own website today uh, statements from Minister Studley. Uh, about uh, about the our provincial government's uh, intentions with AI uh, and how they're currently working on AI legislation. I was very excited to um, to read that. This is something that we've been calling for now for some time. Uh, commissioners, as you know, uh, and I believe we've talked about this, the commissioners have issued a joint statement on on uh, AI, uh, calling for legislative action there. So very excited to see what the provincial government is up to uh, on that, and very encouraged by the kind of statements that Minister Studley uh, made. And what about the information that's being uh, collected uh, about us by companies through uh, apps or services that a, that a person chooses to purchase? Oh yes. Well, this is, of course, a more uh, the the broader issue, and this affects every one of us every day. So uh, this is really where uh, increasingly around the world, privacy professionals believe that there needs to be uh, more robust uh, protections for individuals that don't just rely on the consent model. So the problem that you and I, Linda, would face is that, you know, we go and want an app and then we're asked to review uh, a privacy policy and, uh, and, and we would check off that we have reviewed it or, you know, the terms and conditions. Yes, we've reviewed it. And yes, we agree to it. And that is what's passed off as informed consent. 
these privacy policies and terms and conditions are often very, very lengthy, and um, uh, and they they really, in many instances, give the company the ability to do uh, everything we, they want uh, with uh, with the data. In some instances, um, and people often because they can't really you can't really be expect them to understand what's in or even read what's in these terms and conditions, you have to question whether this is informed consent. And informed consent is really what is the principle that we find in our legislation. So now what we've seen is uh, with the consent model is that it's, it's broken. It's not actually about, about providing consumers with information anymore. It's really about a company protecting itself from liability. And if that has become what our privacy uh, protections rest on, then that's broken. So uh, increasingly, we need to be more precise with, uh, with our companies. The burden needs to be on them to demonstrate to, to independent oversight and then ultimately beyond that, maybe the courts, uh, to demonstrate that, yes, our purpose for collecting this information is is legitimate. We're collecting it for a legitimate business purpose. We're not using it for anything that a reasonable person would say is is uh, not appropriate. We're not using it for anything other than we said we were going to use it for. The burden needs to increasingly be on companies to demonstrate that their purposes are legitimate. And then that's not to say that there's not room for consent in certain purposes as well, but those uh, that consent where it's offered needs – it can't be – 20 pages, 30 pages, 60 pages of lengthy legal language that you and I are expected to read on our phone. That's not informed consent. So, you know, increasingly laws are catching up to this. And, um, uh, you know, the European law and, and a number of American laws in American states are catching up to this. And uh, ch- changes to the consent model are part of the federal legislation that's currently before Parliament as well uh, and subject to debate there. Right, because I often uh, Google news sources from around the world uh, for my own curiosity and and, and edification. And uh, more increasingly now, particularly uh, among European sites and some American sites, you see this, uh, you know, here's our cookies policy. And do you agree to this, 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 and this? And so you have to click on each one of those or I'm okay with this. You know what I'm saying? So um, is is that reflective of legislation in other jurisdictions to make people more... You know, because otherwise you're you're going through this big legalese that you just scroll, 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 accept. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of that does arise from the European legislation. What are what's known as a GDPR uh, that's been in place since 2016, and um, uh, and so now using more simple language to try to get consent where it is required uh, is is definitely a part of that. Uh, and but of course there's there's much more to it than that. But that's uh, that's probably the most visible aspect of it. I'm one of those. So we in Canada have already have already begun to, to benefit from European uh, from this European legislation because companies that want to do business in Europe uh, will have to comply with it. But nevertheless, uh, we need to get our own house in order. And this is you know this legislation that's before Parliament is a step in in that direction. Uh, and um, uh, you know it just needs to to get through. And uh, and I think that our, my federal colleague has some ideas about improvement, but uh, we really do need to keep our, our foot on the gas pedal in that regard. So that is uh, Privacy Commissioner Michael Harvey. This is Data Privacy Week, and we'll be hearing more from uh, Michael Harvey about the uh, the 
various aspects of online life that affects each and every one of us uh, through the morning show this week and uh, back on News Talk again tomorrow. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, Do join us then. Bye-bye for now.